All right, so we have been looking at um, what you have in your hands. Uh, now is a copy of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. Interestingly enough, maybe uh, some verses from this section are the most quoted by humans, uh, and maybe the most quoted by humans who don't believe in God, and certainly not Jesus who inspired these, some of those passages, and some passages that are the most under, misunderstood and abused, and used to abuse people. And so we want, we're walking, spending several weeks to walk through this after having started with just kind of unpacking a one-on-one, like who is God the Holy Spirit? Who is this entity, this spiritual entity that we should be interacting with, we should be leaning into, we should be attentive to, we should be listening to on a daily basis. So we started with that and an understanding of who the Holy Spirit is, and the fruit, the result that the Holy Spirit brings. And then in this section, we get this analogy of the fellowship of believers, this new spiritual community as a body. And I put out for a couple of weeks an opportunity if anyone would like to come and share if you prepared a comment on what this analogy has meant to you, what maybe what you have learned from it. Anyone Prepare something for today? Okay, I know transition season of the year, so that's a little bit tough. So I'll just open it up. Maybe um, if anyone wants to make a comment, just shout it out to me. What do we learn from the analogy of a church community as one body with many parts? We need each other. Thank you, Danielle. That's right. We need each other. Verse says, one part cannot say to another, I don't need you. Yeah? Daniel? Kind of along those lines of like some parts that do like policing in the body, like sometimes it can be like rub like rubbing up against rough edges, but like it's still very important. Like yeah. you can't say just because someone is holding the body accountable or, you know, that they are not profitable for the body. Yeah, so sometimes we rub up against each other, we're holding each other accountable, and sometimes there's some difficult interactions, but that doesn't mean that we don't still need each other and there isn't still benefit from it. We see from the analogy, we are to be intentionally, strategically connected. If there's any relationship in your life that you should be prioritizing, after your relationship with God, any human relationship in life that you should be prioritizing, budgeting time, energy, and money to build intentionally, it's the relationships within this room. Because these passages are to a local church community like this. So that's where we are to intentionally and then benefit and strengthen each other. Let's take the question just a little bit further. Um, so we got the passage there. God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. It's God who leads. It's God who has the intentionality. So what do we learn about spiritual gifts? We get from this, we've looked at for a couple of weeks now, the Spirit gives gifts. We've already looked at the communication gifts of an ability to give a word of wisdom or give a word of knowledge. Last Sunday, if you missed it, I hope you will catch up on it. We talked about faith, healing, and miracles. So, and today we're gonna to talk about two more, but these spiritual gifts, what do we learn about those from the analogy of us as many parts of one body? Okay? It's okay to not do everything. It's okay to not do everything, that's great. 
Isn't that freeing? That's releasing? I don't need to be everything, do everything. Yes, each part supports the whole. Every joint supplies. That joint meaning like elbow joint. Right? Everybody, everybody, it's okay. Sorry. I always laugh when the pastor would, would, would announce a joint service. Okay, what's going to happen at that gathering? It's going to be a lot of people at that gathering. So every joint, every part supplies. And that's really important. So we, when we look at each other, we can look at each other with value, and we can look at each other as someone who has something to offer. Right? Right? Anyone else? Okay, so here's the list on the screen. I just kind of boiled them down to one word, which is not the best idea, but wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment, language, and interpretation. Today, we're going to talk about prophecy and discernment. Next Sunday, we'll talk about languages and interpretation, okay? So, we're titling this series, One Spirit, because that's the focus of it. Hey, the, it's not a selfish thing. These gifts aren't to worship the individual parts, right? We worship God. And it's the one spirit that we all serve who's the one who gives gifts to everyone. We have an equality. We're, we're special, and we have an equality in that respect. So, one spirit, many superpowers. The Holy Spirit gives us special abilities that help us strengthen our spiritual family and participate in the cause of Jesus Christ. Very important for us to remember that's the context of this. It's not just so we can all be happy. It's as we are extending the kingdom of God, inviting more people into relationship with Jesus, inviting more people to take next steps in following Jesus. That's the context of this. Here we go, starting in verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but they're all from the same Spirit. There are different ways to serve, but the same Lord to serve. And there are different ways that God works through people, but the same God. God works in all of us, in everything we do. Something from the Spirit can be seen in each person for the common good. The Spirit gives one person the ability, the gift, right? To speak with wisdom. And the same spirit gives another the ability to speak with knowledge. And to another, that one spirit gives the gift of, sorry, the spirit gives faith to one person. And to another, the spirit gives the gifts of healing. The spirit gives to another person the power to do miracles. And to another, the ability to prophesy. And he gives to another the ability to know the difference between good and evil spirits. The Spirit gives one person the ability to speak in different kinds of languages and to another the ability to interpret those languages. So prophecy and discernment. All right, look at the screen and tell me, what's the message here? Use the force, Luke. Right? And I think for us in, in today in America, we don't have the problem that the Corinthian church had. The Corinthian church had, lots of people had an understanding of what prophecy was. Because actually how the church got started was that Paul went to Corinth. He went to Corinth and he talked about Jesus in the synagogue. And the leader of the synagogue and his family, they became Jesus' followers. They were a part of the first families of that church. Okay? Right? Now, what happened was that Paul would stay the night in the house next door to the synagogue. And the house, and we see this story in, in Acts. 
And the house next door to the synagogue was a Gentile family, family that were not Jews, were not participating in the synagogue. And they came to faith in Jesus Christ, and that family, and the leader of the synagogue, they were the first two families of the Corinthian church. And they came from different understanding of what prophecy was. And they had a different understanding than what we do. The Jews had an understanding, which we're going to unpack in Scripture in a moment. The Gentiles had a different understanding from Greco-Roman uh, religions around different gods that would speak to people prophecies, or they would have a, 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 a they would fall into a trance, or they would dream a dream, and they would have a, an ecstatic utterance of this word from one of the gods. So these the, the people from the very beginning there was a, a, a varied understanding of what prophecy is, and certainly as we have seen errors in prophecy as it relates to January sixth of a few years ago and different things. This is a topic that has been misunderstood and abused, and I would like to invite us to start with an understanding of what the Bible has to say about it, okay? It's a huge topic, so you're going to have some ideas that are different than me, but let's just forge ahead together. But from a pop culture sense, George Lucas wanted to make money with his movies, and he started with a... And there was a blending from all the people he was hanging out with in California, uh, Buddhism and other spiritual New Age things and Christianity. And so he's blending different religious experiences into this. And what happened? And Luke is in the cockpit, coming to the episode, episode four, which is the oldest of the Star Wars movies, right? What does he hear? Obi-Wan Kenobi, use the Force, Luke. Right? Use the Force. Now... What's the message here? <laughs> Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Right? That's the message there. It was the bell ringer. And what, what did the message start with? Mama always said. Right? What's the message here? This might be a little bit more obscure for some of you. Some of you might, might know this one. You got, you got to turn right to go left. He's from Doc. He's learning how to drift. My dad, when I was a teenager, took me when there was snow in Seattle to learn how to drift so that I could know how to drive on ice. You got to counter steer in order to go. So I see people who've lived in the snow nodding their heads, right? So this is kind of a pop culture understanding of, oh, I get this thing, right? But let's, well, what's the message with this one? If you build it, they will come, right? And then they literally cast Kevin Costner in that movie because, and it was, it was originally going to be Robin Williams, but because of Robin Williams' methodology, they thought everyone would just think he's crazy. But they thought Kevin Costner could pull off a more sincere, he's not crazy, so how is this, this thing, this idea came to him, right? So let's take it, let's take it from the Bible, let's get what Jesus' followers understood prophecy to be. The ability to speak under the influence of divine inspiration. Ability to speak a fresh message from God. Now certainly we see that God will use scripture and God will use other ways in which he's already spoken. But the, the word, if we're going to unpack what prop, the gift of prophecy means, this is what it means. It's an ability to speak a word from God. And in fact, David, I think, maybe articulates it the most clearly that we see in Scripture. You see 2 Samuel chapter 23, and verse 2. David describes it as this. And David had a prophetic ministry. The Spirit of the Lord speaks through me. His words are upon my tongue. That's a really good 
understanding from Scripture of what prophecy is. The Spirit of the Lord speaks through me. His words are upon my tongue. David was a songwriter. He was, he was a person who heard God. He was a person who started out as a shepherd, became king, had this huge life journey. And we read in the Psalms and many other places his journey of earnestly seeking what God would say. And that's important. Now, for Jesus' followers at this time, one of the first people they would have thought of was Moses. Because God appeared to Moses in a number of different ways, and a number of different times, God specifically said to Moses, I want you to say this to that person. That's prophecy. And watch this. This is what Moses said to the people when there's some contention. Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them all. There's this desire. He says, listen, I don't want to be the only one that has this gift. I wish everybody had this gift. Right? So part of our biblical understanding of what it was. Now, what did Jesus' followers get? Because before Jesus, we have 400 years of prophetic silence, where there wasn't a prophet operating at a level where they said, that is inspired of God to be our scripture. There are 400 years of prophetic silence. And what happens? Right? The Jesus' followers, we get the events of Acts chapter 2, which we've talked about quite a bit, fulfilling the prophet Joel. What Joel wrote, Joel chapter 2, verse 28 through 29, then after doing all these things, he's saying this is what God has said, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. People in the future. Your, right? Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. In those days I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. Now when you look at chapter 14, that's important. What happens in Acts chapter 2? Peter says, this has been fulfilled today. This, there's a prophetic unction. There is a gift, there's a falling of the Holy Spirit, a new dispensation, if you will, a visitation of the Holy Spirit. There's a fulfillment. So you cannot say that prophecy does not still exist. We have many, many cases after that 400 years of silence where that happens, right? And we see, before we'll go to Acts, uh, 1 Corinthians 14 in a second. Personally, I will never forget the week of my 13th birthday, 1987. Growing up, our church always had a week of meetings, a week of evening meetings on the week of my birthday. It was a joyous thing as a child. And they were always, they are a little sarcasm there, they were always three hour services. And it was a prophetic assembly. And there would be people who go through a process of applying and become candidates and there would be prophets that would be brought in to minister prophetically. I'll never forget the week of my 13th birthday, 1987, the prophet David Schock, who Joe has met, been involved with uh, working on his biography, was ministering prophetically over a couple and he stopped and he quoted Daniel chapter 17 and verse 5 and he said, I see a bear up on one side with three ribs in its mouth and the bear is Russia and the ribs are Lithuania, Latvia and Estonia and the ribs will be pulled from the bear's mouth. That was 1987. That word was fulfilled in the events from 1989 to 1991 when they became independent countries. I've seen prophets operate. That's prophecy. 
Now we can, and I'm, I'm not saying it's a bad thing to loosely use the word to any unction. I just really believe God wants me to tell you that he loves you. I'm, it's not a bad thing to call that prophetic. But just for the sake of understanding the Bible word and what they're talking about here, a gift of prophecy is an ability to receive from God at whose direction? God's. At whose time? God's. Whose thought? God's. Right? There's a gift and an ability. I've heard from God that I need to say this to you. It's a very specific thing. And we need to be careful that we don't muddy the waters. So let's go to, we get a little bit more explanation in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. You should seek after love, agape love, and you should truly want to have the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Those who prophesy are speaking to people to give them strength, encouragement, and comfort. Those who are prophesying are helping the whole church. The prophetic ministry is a ministry of help. And even at times, if a prophet is told to give a word of, this is sin, repent of this sin, that is, and if you don't repent of this sin, that's judgment, that's still help. And that is still bringing comfort. Because it's still saying that God is not indifferent to you, God cares about you, and God is giving you a window of opportunity to repent. So even if a prophetic word comes in that way, it can be a word of encouragement, strength, and comfort. Helping the whole church. Since you want spiritual gifts very much, seek most of all to have the gifts that help the church grow stronger. Now there's a number of things that are important for here. We don't have time to get into all of it today. But one is that you can become aware of a spiritual gift and desire it and ask God for it. And God by the Holy Spirit may bestow it on you. It's true. We see examples of that in Scripture and in history. Another is that, again, there's this unity over and over, 12, 13, and 14. It's about unity, us coming around the Holy Spirit, coming into alignment, coming into unity with each other. And this helps us to understand the gift and what it should be doing. It's a sense of direct message. So often in our culture, people value inspiration and direct messages. That song is so inspired. That art is so inspired. Did you hear so-and-so gave me a direct message? That can be the human spirit desiring an interaction with God that can find fulfillment when the prophetic gift is released. Now, let's understand spiritual discernment, right? The ability to know. And the NCD doesn't have a great translation of this, so we're gonna unpack this a little bit. Spiritual discernment, from a couple different translations. The NLT, John writes to the believers and his big theme is agape love, which we get in 1 Corinthians 13, but he writes this, and I've never heard somebody quote this. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them, which is a word that means prove. It needs to be proved, it needs to come to fulfillment. Test them to see if the Spirit that they have comes from God. There are many false prophets in the world. Now remember what we've talked about before. In a big picture sense, there's three possible sources of a thought. God, humans, and our enemy. And a lot of the time, what's in our conversation are things that are a blend, a mixture of thoughts from those different sources. And we need people with the gift of spiritual discernment. Whoa. 
Okay, that was exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I need to, to go back to that screen. Yeah. We need people with the gift of spiritual discernment to help us unpack what it is, what it means, and how it should work. Um, looking, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10. Another, the ESV translates it, the ability to distinguish between spirits. Distinguish between. The NLT uses the word discern. So that would be the ability to know the difference, the ability to distinguish between, the ability to discern. So that's the ability to, of, um, the other words would be evaluate and judge between what is from God and what is not. Thank you, Daniel. One more forward. Let's see if I can let me do it without. Okay. That's okay. All right. So distinguish between and discern. So that ability to know the difference, to evaluate and judge. Now watch this. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 on the screen says this. Only two or three prophets should speak. Now what's happening is the, the Corinthian church services are getting confusing. Lots of people are talking. Lots of things are happening. Lots of people are talking over each other. I'm really good at talking over other people. And Paul's trying to write to bring some direction to it and say, let's, hey, hey, let's, let's have our gatherings be helpful. So one or two, three prophets, two or three prophets should speak and the others should judge what they say. If a message from God comes to another person who's sitting, the first speaker should stop. You can all prophesy one after another, take turns. In this way, all the people can be taught and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are under the control of the prophets themselves. Prophets have self-control. Now, I don't know how much self-control the donkey had when he spoke to Balaam in that example. But generally speaking, if a human Jesus follower has the gift of prophecy, they also, God has not overtaken their free will. They still have self-control. God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. Okay? So it's helping us understand. We also get in verse 29, the word is also translated to weigh. Let the others weigh, or judge, or test, or prove what is said. So let's understand what that means when we use the reference books that help us from scholars unpack the Greek words. To weigh is to evaluate carefully. To make judgment based on the basis of careful and detailed information. Now, if you're a person who has a really high value on individualism and freedom and an environment of freedom, I just want to bring some comfort here. To have a group of people who are committed to Jesus and committed to each other around love, agape love, with the same purpose, what we do when we evaluate is to bring safety. And bringing safety brings more freedom. A riverbank helps it go from a flood to being something that's useful and life-giving. So these riverbanks of evaluation can allow there to be more freedom. So this is not about creating a controlling environment, a domineering environment. No, it's, these are the mechanisms by which God has orchestrated us to have an atmosphere of freedom. Because we know, hey, if there's a mistake, we know how that mistake can be corrected. We don't judge that person, never listen to that person again, right? But we, there's an atmosphere of freedom and there's an atmosphere of mentoring. What you see in the days of Elijah and Elisha is a school of the prophets. And clearly they had that in the New Testament as well. We see around Agabus and the evangelist Philip had four daughters, four single women who, had, who were prophets, right? 
also important when we get to 1 Corinthians 14. So there's this gift of prophecy and there's evaluation. It means to evaluate carefully, to make a judgment on the basis of careful and detailed information. Now clearly we do get the idea that if it comes out, hey, that is only the devil. Well, then we know what to do with that. We resist the enemy, we'll flee. We offer freedom to that person, a spiritual freedom and a deliverance from the control of that, of that dark spirit. But if it is in most cases just something that needs to be evaluated, hey, this is what that means, then someone to have a gift of discernment is a Bible idea for the sake of safety. All right, I see a lot of nodding heads. So if, and here's that word, again, going back uh, to the translation of verses 30 to 33. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, the, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not the God of confusion, but of peace. That revelation word in that verse 30 means to uncover, to take out of hiding. That means the evaluation, the person with the discernment may stand and speak and say to bring the truth of the, out from the prophecy so that it's not dark and confused, but so that it is revealed. And this also helps us understand, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that here and now, we don't see everything perfectly. Some things are still blurred, and when Jesus returns, all will be made clear. So it's okay to say with a prophetic word, we don't understand that completely. We're going to put it on a shelf. Uh, it's not the elf on the shelf, right? That you move around. You're going to put it on the shelf and just say, hey, we're going to wait for the understanding of God if the understanding of God about the prophetic word hasn't come initially. But here's what the Bible word means. To take out of hiding the true meaning of something so that it can be fully known. The gift of discernment is there to help maximize the gift of prophecy. Subject to, again, is this idea that Christian communities were brand new. No other religion of that day no other politic of that day had this level of mutual submission, respectful deference to each other, a spirit of collaboration to each other. That's what those Bible words to subject to. That's what that word means. And it's found in other places of the scripture. All right. Spiritual discernment of prophetic words should be a team sport. It's a team sport. Right? Okay. Daniel? Oh, let me, get it, let me get it unwrapped. All right. So we get this story in the book of Acts. Okay? We get this story in the book of Acts. Let me get the reference here. Acts chapter 11, verses 27 through 30. Agabus gets a prophetic word that a, a famine is coming. We'll walk a little further out here. He gets a prophetic word that a, a famine is coming to the land. And you see that they respond. They respond with taking up an offering to meet people's needs from it. Now, when we think about a pass, you think about a pass in football, or you're throwing a frisbee, whatever it is, you think about the direction of the pass tells us something. It tells us the intent of the quarterback. In football, we talked about, we talked about this before, a quarterback is going to throw the ball out in front of the direction that the receiver is supposed to run. And there's some plays where at a certain point the receiver changes direction to fool the defense and he goes in the direction. And a lot of times, a lot more times than you might know, a quarterback throws 
in a place where it doesn't look like it's a good pass when he first releases it, because after he releases it, the receiver turns in the direction he's supposed to go. And you can learn the intent of the quarterback and by where the ball goes and where the receiver takes it and what direction it's going. Now let's think about the prophecy with Agabus and there's a famine coming. Now, what had they already learned, we'd already seen in the book of Acts, there was in response to Jesus, there was a courageous generosity ethic, right? In response to Jesus, God has already blessed us with the best, that is Jesus Christ. So now I choose to live on less of my own time, energy, and money so that I can be a blessing to others because they were meeting each other's needs. So this courageous generosity ethic was a part of God's intent. When we look at God's intent for peace, when we look at God's intent for love, those things give us an opportunity, an invitation to participation. So God works. God's already revealed that he works in an invitation to participation. So if they stood to judge, to evaluate, to test, to prove the prophetic word, why would God reveal to us that something bad is going to happen? And God didn't say he was going to fix it. He just said something bad was going to... Well, that's consistent with what we've already learned about God, which is what God gives invitations to participation. And that's consistent with what we've already learned about God, that we should meet each other's needs. And what did they start with? They started with, a, a, in this case, an offering for other believers who were extending the message of Jesus. They were working towards the cause of Christ. They sent it, and they sent it first to the Jews in Jerusalem, which was controversial, which was an overcoming of racist tendencies that they had. So these things are in alignment. You can draw a line between, there, here's all these different ways that this is consistent with who God is and what God is like. And if you give a prophetic word, there should be a way to evaluate, is this in alignment with what God says? Does that make sense? There's a, I can test by direction. Thank you, Daniel. There are some people since 2020 that life was difficult, I got good vibes, and I think I'm going to go live in a van down by the river. And it may be that their good vibes were a combination of marketing they were hearing from Mercedes who was making all these vans. And a selfish desire to just take care of myself and no one else. Or God could have said, I want you to get out of debt. I want you to shake off the results of bad decisions you've made in the past. I want you to live more affordably so that you can do that responsibly. And there's going to be people down by the river that I want you to share Jesus with. That's the difference in evaluating the prophetic word. And I think we, there's an invitation today from the Holy Spirit to mature in our understanding of prophecy. Is that helpful? Now, I'm going to put on the screen um, this book title, which I have right here. This is from a uh, great, amazing, Ernest Gentile, a uh, 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 minister from San Diego, California. This book is available on Amazon, and it is one of the best in-depth books on prophecy, evaluating prophecy, how prophecy would work, and it includes things from history, like where there has been within the Roman Catholic Church a move of charismatics that have operated in this. It includes a very diverse uh, sources 
and responsible sources. And in it, he gives some questions that a discernment team... Now, this isn't like, hey, every Sunday, somebody says something, now you've got to ask 20 questions. That's not the intent of these questions. But in the big scheme of things, to mature in our understanding of prophecy, here's just a few questions which we've already touched on from Scripture. And there's, a, a, you see the topics on the screen. There's, he, he provides information, scripture and other information, about every one of the topics that you see on the screen there. The source, the objective, the message, the person, the delivery, the recipient, the response. Here's one of the questions. Does the message glorify Jesus and edify the church? Well, that would be consistent with what we're seeing in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Is it in accordance with the letter and spirit of what God has said in the scripture. God is not schizophrenic. In the scripture, God expresses a lot of different emotions. And we can learn a lot about God's value system. But through it all, God is consistent. Yes. Right? Is the theological or doctrinal content solid? Right? So you might take, let's take the song Reckless Love. Is God reckless? Did God go into a debt that he cannot repay when he sent Jesus for us? No, certainly not in that sense. So we would not say that the word reckless in that song is theologically sound in that sense. But a creative person who is artistically using it to say lavish, extraordinary love, that could be a way that they're poetically using that word. Okay? So theological doctrine. Does the message have substance? This is important. There are a lot of people who might have somewhat of a gift, but they've never received a little bit of mentoring, and they say a lot of things as prophecies that actually don't have a lot of substance. What you see in Scripture, when a prophetic word's given, it has substance. It's like, whoa. Okay? Now, a famine is coming. That's like, whoa. Okay? Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia are going to be removed from Russia. Whoa. Now, I've been given a gift of prophecy and started operating it when I was a kid. When I was in middle school, my parents and I were visiting another church where my dad was speaking. And I saw a young lady across the room and saw this picture, like, like the face from the Wizard of Oz, of an angry man behind her. And I couldn't shake it. I didn't know what to do with it. What you do when you don't know what to do with a prophecy is to go to somebody with a prophetic gift with some discernment, with some maturity. I went to my mom, who was also prophetic. And I said, Mom, like, I see this, I don't know what to do with it. She got one of the other ladies in the church, and they ministered to her, and she, that young lady had not revealed she was being physically abused by her father. And God did a work of healing and a work of freedom in her life as a result of it. Okay? So the maturing of, of, of it in my life well, okay, something can have substance even if I don't know all the substance. I need to pray and discern what should I do with what substance I have. Okay? Does the prophecy of value within specific limits of time and space? There's going to be a famine. That's specific time and space. Do predictions come to pass and lead people to God? That's how we can prove somebody operates in the prophetic gift. Does the message give hope to people? Again, even God's call to repentance gave hope. What do we learn? God listens, excuse me, God speaks and we should listen carefully. God speaks and we should listen carefully. 
God gives spiritual gifts with purpose and design. God has purpose and design in every one of the spiritual gifts, in the gift of prophecy and in the gift of discernment. This purpose and design includes salvation and growth. It also includes increasing strength and unity. Let's not miss the number one theme of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Strength and unity of the believers, the spiritual community on the cause of Christ. God's people have wonderful variety expressed by God's purpose and design. There's one spirit and he gives us all different kinds of gifts and we should value and love those gifts. People with the gifts of the prophetic and spiritual discernment may team up for the benefit of the church. I mean, team up for the benefit of the church. So what should we do? Read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. You've got to go hands. Pray, listen, ask questions, and share the journey. When we're here on a Sunday, if you have a prophetic word, come to the front, share it with Rebecca and I. We'll give a little bit of guidance of how that's released in the church. We have many, many times, and almost every time, released almost every prophetic word on the mic in a service when we gather. We're in a different place. The Corinthian church had too much confusion. Too much people talking. We're in a different place. We don't have enough. Not saying anything negative, but a part of the reason to share this message is to release it. Is to explicitly say, we believe in this, we want to see this, and we want you to know that we release it, and here's how we can go about it. Rebecca and I have the gift of discernment. So it helps bring us safe. If you have a prophetic word, you come, share it with us, share it in the church. You share it. There's a lot more that can be said about that. The same thing can be true for, for any other gathering, life groups and whatnot. Rebecca and I have been selected to minister the prophetic panel in a number of different meetings with a number of different churches. We still minister prophetically. This is something we believe in. It's something we desire. It's something that we want to see released. Okay? It's something we want to see released in this church. It's something we want to see released in your lives. It's something we want to see released in Baltimore City. Because God has a plan for you, your family, your home, our neighborhoods, this church, and this city. Amen? Amen? I know there could be a lot of questions about this, so please don't hesitate to ask or talk to us. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for the equipping that comes from your word. Thank you for the grace that comes from your word. Help us to understand what you're teaching. Help us to live it. Help us to desire the gifts, receive the gifts, operate in the gifts, grow in the gifts. Thank you, God, for who you are and what you're doing. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. Grace and peace to you. Have a great week.